This episode of Grub Street is brought to you by Fully Committed. Starring Modern Family's Jesse Tyler Ferguson, this hilarious comedy about the restaurant biz is now in previews on Broadway at the Lyceum Theater. For tickets, visit fullybroadway.com. This episode is sponsored by Harry's. What makes Harry's special? Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. German-engineered, five-blade cartridges, close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns, quality guaranteed, full refund if you're not happy. Over one million guys have already made the switch, and thousands more switch every day. The Harry's starter set is an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Harry's doesn't like to discount because their prices are already really low, but we've worked out a special offer for you guys. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code GRUBSTREET. Stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code GRUBSTREET at checkout. That hits the sport, doesn't it? Yep, oh, yep. My, my, my Scottish, I don't know, it's, it's British. It's all making sense. Maybe it's my hobbit, yeah. my, my Japanese-British hobbit accent. <laughs> this right, this whiskey is good. Right. All right. Here we are. Here we are, yeah. It's another edition of the Grub Street Podcast. I'm Alan Sitzma, here as always with Adam Platt. Adam, where are we? Uh, we are today, well, we're always in New York City. Today we are at a uh, uh, newish sushi restaurant called Shuko, which is in the central village right below Union Square. Shuko is uh, on the forefront of the, I guess we could call it the new Omakase, new wave omakase movement. New wave omakase. New kind of sushi establishment, uh, quite rarefied, but at the same time also rooted in the simple pleasures. Uh, It's a small place, 20 seats, uh, not inexpensive. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know what they say on the menu, but you could easily walk out of here having dropped $1,000. Maybe you could have. Well, I definitely could (laughs) have. Two sushi instead of one. And to the extent that there are trends in the rarefied world of sushi, uh, this, this little restaurant, this excellent little restaurant, uh, sort of uh, exemplifies them. And we should say that this is not for people who have seen, like, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. This is not the austere, brightly lit, no. tiny little place. This is it's luxury. A- Right. There's leather seats. I mean, we're sitting in this nice booth. Correct. Uh, this is, I should say, one of Adam's favorite restaurants. Shuko is the last restaurant that I gave f- four stars to. Now, I never give four stars to anything. I have a five-star system. I've only given five stars to two restaurants, but subsequently I took those stars away. So, so this is stars. as good as it gets. For me. From we, Platy fans. We all know my view on the star system, which is it's a bunch of malarkey. But... For my star system, I gave the great. I think it's an excellent four-star restaurant, and uh, and if you happen to have the cash, well worth a visit. That's sort of part of it. The cash. Uh, you've talked a little bit that the sushi bars, some of the the high-end sushi bars around town, sort of occupy a similar space as like a high-end steakhouse. Right. It's about luxury, well, and it's about yeah, sushi. I think has replaced steak. Steak is still the, the great uh, you know trencherman uh, New York feast. But I think in the upper echelons of the, the business power community, sushi has really become among the you know uh, the jet setting, uh, uh, Google working, uh, whatever you want to call it, going public set, marathon running, the going public, whatever set. they are, the marathon, you know the the, the 
you come here on any given night, and you're not seeing a bunch of giant fat guys with pinky rings. You're seeing a bunch of guys who look like they're jet fighter pilots, actually. You know, no coats, uh, buttoned-up shirts, uh, little cuffs. Uh, we can talk about mafia. Power sushi. Power sushi. You know, it's, 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 hel- it's uh, much healthier than steak. It's, uh, uh, if, you, if you're knowledgeable about sushi, it shows that you are a man of the world. You've jet-setted here and there. Uh, doesn't fill you up. It's delicious. Uh, you can pair it with wines. The world of sushi classically, especially the Japanese model, the classic Edi- Edo Tokyo model, is a very, and if you've seen the Jiro movie, it's a very ancient sort of power hierarchy. You have the sushi master, you have the ways of doing things, and that's changed over the years. People have become more inventive. Many of the sushi masters these days aren't Japanese anymore. And if you're not Japanese, you're going to be more likely to experiment, more likely to do strange things, more likely not to be sort of in the shadow of your master. And that's what this restaurant is. And we are also joined by two special guests today. Uh, The chef and, or I guess co-chef and co-owner Nick Kim is here. Hi, Nick. Hello. As well as Shugo's general manager, Sarah Crathen. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Can you talk a little bit about the service here? Because it is a little bit different and a little more... Uh, Yeah, we're often accused of having um, more employees than customers just because it's such an open setting and we do have uh, a full front of the house staff moving along too. Um, So the, and because it's such a large sushi bar, it's not, in order to give guests that intimate uh, omakase experience, we kind of need more voices in the, in the process. So uh, yeah, the service is, we have a a very extensive wine list, sake list, we do cocktails. We have a you have, a, bu- you have, a, bu- you have a, a bewhiskered mixologist, right? Yes. yes. Like any any proper thinking yeah, New York restaurant. Yeah, we got, got rid of most of mis- we, got, mis- ri- yes. we got rid of most of the whiskers, I think. We do have a <laughs> When I was here, you had whiskers. <laughs> I was excited. <laughs> that was just I, the review staff. I ordered my brown spirit yeah, drink got, right off the bat. They got their stars and off the bat. We got rid of all the whiskers. Yeah. All the After they got their stars, they're not letting me back in here. Mr. Kim, um... Let's talk about Masa Takayama, who you, would you consider him to be your mentor? Definitely. Uh, so Masa, Masa, let me just explain a little Masa, sorry. <laughs> Masa was one of those Jiro-like figures, this uh, very austere, uh, Tokyo uh, uh, sensei-like sushiya, but he, he went to L- L.A., I think, in the 80s? Yes. 90s? In the 80s. And he went, you know, was like a... Um, an uptight Frenchman going mm-hmm. to Vegas. He right. experienced a, rebir- a crazy rebirth, and he started experimenting with yes. these upmarket uh, mm-hmm. Western ingredients yes. like foie gras, like truffles. And he developed this following, and really, this he was. Very, I think he was very successful in in molding classical sushi. And by the way, sushi. I used to live in Tokyo, and. If you live in Tokyo, you know, or anywhere, Japanese don't go around eating sushi all the time. It's a it's a right. lux- it's a luxury uh, meal in Japan, just like anywhere else. Right. And what Masa did is that he he brought these these classic luxury signifiers in the Western canon, like truffles, like foie gras, and he mingled them artfully and mm-hmm. delicately with this incredibly refined sushi sensibility. He's also massive, but by, by the way, this restaurant's famous famous for being baldly the most expensive restaurant in New York City. Yeah, the most expensive a, a, a restaurant. A thousand bucks uh, uh, if you're lucky, really. Once you start That's dr- the baseline what, for two. If you're lucky, once you mm-hmm. start drinking, 
easily more than that. And if you go there, you go they talk about the power guy, they go in there and they you know, you're my man and it's everything is accompanied with Yes. The wines, which of course is how everybody makes their money in this in this racket. Yes. In this end of the racket. <laughs> anyway, so tell us how you got how you got recruited by by him and what what um, you know, what what servitude under the great Massa was like. Well, I'm from Los Angeles and I was working at La Rancherie for Ludovic and um, at that time um, uh, just the whole kitchen staff was in awe with this person named Masa and, and Ginza Sushiko because he was an urban legend to us because nobody we knew could afford to go there so we didn't know he even exist did you grow up eating sushi uh yes and no you um, grew up in the korean community yes but it was like more home cooking sushi right uh, my mother was a, a hairstylist for uh Vidal Sassoon, so we spent a lot of time in japan and we stopped family there and going there um like once a year and having sushi was a big big deal mm-hmm. and um so the older we got we got a little bit more connected and closer to that but my career uh, at the time was in French kitchens. And um, <clears throat> so uh, Ludovic had sent me to France to work for uh, uh, Michel Guillard. So at that time, um, my ex-girlfriend used to save the LA Times Review and save, uh, send it to me. And uh, one article had masa in it. And then finally, I was like, oh, my God, he exists. <laughs> right. And you'd been cleaning chickens in the back of a French restaurant. I wish chickens. Get, <laughs> getting I yelled the, at yeah. by these haughty Frenchmen. Right. I was cleaning the chickens that the guy would clean the chicken. I would clean the chicken that he cleaned. <laughs> so basically, I was the trash can. Right, the, the double, double trash can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I uh, saw the article, and then immediately, you know, I spoke to the chef, and I told them that I needed to go back to L.A. because, you know, I needed to... Uh, work for this man so i flew back to lax and i immediately went with my backpack and all the bags that i had uh to uh beverly hills and knocked on the door and that's 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 la <laughs> that's, that's the insane focus that you need he opened the door and this is uh, never having eaten his food only read the review and heard about right it. i mean it was years of this man this guy is doing these crazy things getting blowfish going to japan every weekend coming back and we're just like where is this restaurant so we used to on our weekends try to look for it but it was so <laughs> hidden in and private mall. right in a strip mall nobody can find right it. and this is like early nine late 90s so there's no internet that would you know help you find these things, you know, and we just got little clues. <laughs> so anyway, so I came back and then knocked on the door and, and um, finally answered. And there was a man, well, he looked like a grizzly bear because he was like 10 feet tall with a... He's got a big round head. Big round head. And he's just <laughs> motionless. Op- motionless. He's looking at you, motionless. Right. And it's scary. It's, there's no words. There's I got no, a big head. I was right. scared. <laughs> It, it really did look like grizzly bear. You know, I was like, how do I talk to this bear? No, like you know? a monk. Like, if there he is. Right. Like- and I gave him my resume, and he was sort of confused because he was like, what is this? Because I don't think he's ever seen a resume because he's so sort of uh, in isolation in his own world at the time. So that, uh, that resume, he just sort of looked at it like a foreign thing, like... You know, <laughs> like, I don't, what do you, do I eat it? Do I, like, what do I do with this, what is, you know? What's it going to yeah, do? He kept, he kept on looking Paper at the understand. back. Yeah, he was is like, what is, an invoice? Yeah, what is this? Like, do I owe you something? Do you have a delivery? <laughs> I'm like, that's, you know, my resume. That's where I worked and I'm here, you know. Um, and so my thinking in my head, the way it was going to go is like, he's going to be like, sure, come in and like, what's your name and all that. But it was totally the opposite. He's like, I'm working. You're bothering me. And, um. <laughs> Thanks for stopping in, and uh, he just gave me the craziest bow, like a bow that 
like a kind of a bow, like don't come back bow, <laughs> you know. So he locked, the, he kind of slammed the door on my face, <laughs> and then so I was like, kind of like didn't know what to do because I didn't have a plan B, C, or D. Uh, so I went home and uh, sort of was like, what am I gonna do? And I'm like, you know what? Maybe there was a misunderstanding. I need to go back tomorrow. <laughs> so I went back tomorrow and uh, he got really upset because I think he got he was in the, really in the middle of something and. Uh, and, and so this time he just opened it and just slammed it, you know, and then and I'm like, OK, you know, this come this might take a little bit of time. <laughs> so uh, I waited like a couple of weeks and went back and then there was a dishwasher waiting outside and um, he let me in. And then Masa came in a couple minutes, like, how did you get in here? <laughs> and immediately he kicked me out. And he's like, you come back, you know, there's going to be some trouble. So I waited another month. And I came back, and, he, and he's like, sort of like yelling at me in Japanese because I think he was so frustrated that he couldn't say it in English. Trouble. Then he dialed, uh, I guess, the mall security, the flashlight cop, and he came and and he and and what I. What are you thinking? Well, all this well, you know, I was on. young, and so I didn't. I, you, you know, when you're young, it was you don't. A misunderstanding. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I have my knife, and you know, I like took the RTD in the chef outfit, you know, just. And people looked, you know, I had the apron on, like, like a, like just, I just looked silly. Um, and I think he got a little bit kind of uh, sort of uh, felt bad. I don't know what happened, but when the security guy came and he was just sort of escorting me out, he was like, wait. Um, he's like, what can you do? And I'm like, I could clean really well. You know, I just came back to France and here's my knife. And he's like, okay, leave your knives at home and just come tomorrow. And then, you know, of course, that's where it began. So it was months and months of just cleaning the counter, sweeping the uh, restaurant. And, and all I wanted to do was just get in the kitchen. And he's yelling at everybody. And I'm like, yell at me, yell at me, you know, because all he wanted me to do is just clean everything, you know. And, uh, and, and so I was a little frustrated and I just wanted to just get down to. And then as soon as I tried to, he's like, there's a reason why you're not doing this because you don't know what you're doing, you know? But slowly, surely, at, at the end of the night, he'll let me cut, like, sort of uh, family meal stuff. And uh, so it was just a constant doing things and getting in trouble and doing things, getting in trouble. It was just a cycle. And then, and then at one point, he was like, okay, let's start training you in other parts. So I started to... He never fired you again. Well, I got fired every day. <laughs> He's like, don't come back. You know, throughout the day, I would make a mistake and... Uh, you know, mind you, I never worked in a Japanese place, so it's one, all part of the deal. All part of the it's deal. All part of the deal. So I moved this way. He's like, I'm fired. I moved this way. He's like, I'm fired. So like, every day I got fired. Uh, there was one moment where I was. There was a customer who created a stain. So he's like, get a towel and clean it. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna get the hot Oshibori towel. Get the cleanest towel in the restaurant to clean the stain. So all night, I'm getting this hot towel and cleaning all the stains. And I'm like thinking, oh, Masu's going to love me because I'm cleaning everything with this hot towels. So, but then when I'm using this towel, that, all that towel was, was supposed to be for customers. <laughs> so when he's asking for the where's the hot Oshibori towels, like, I was sort of with a smile like I cleaned the whole counter with it. You know, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so I made mi mistakes like that that, you know, sort of stained my, you know, forever tattooed in my brain. I remember I went, I'll tell you a brief story. There's a tempera place in, in Tokyo. And um, it was one of the top tempera places. And so everybody was flocking in there. And there were two little rooms. And one was where the master was. And the other one was where you didn't want to be, which was where the other guy was. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get to sit in front of the master. I sat in front of the other guy. And I asked the other guy, through the interpreter, 
I said, well, how long you've been how long you been working for for the master? And he goes, oh, twenty five years. <laughs> and I go, well, how long how long did it take before you were frying shrimp for like guys like me? He goes, well, I was in the back in the kitchen in the back for fifteen years. Mm. And so he just got into this stage. And then I asked, well, <laughs> the temper is interesting. I said, ask that temper. So, how do you know? And he was just doing all this stuff. I said, how do you, how do you know? You know, when it's done or something. He said, I can tell by the sound. Mm. It took him 15 years to get right. attuned to that. So, were there any techniques that Masa taught you? Oh yeah, I know it's a, like in temper restaurant, the oil kind of talks to you. Masa is very much like that. He sort of uh, has all the like sort of. I know umami is supposed to be taste, but he has like this umami hearing, umami senses, umami eyes. Like when we put up something in the wrong place, you walk in and be like, that plate is not supposed to be where it is, or this is not where it is, you know what I mean? And it's just a small place, but he had a really, uh, some sort of sense. And even like when you're cutting fish, the fish also, I know it's not alive, but the bones, when you cut it, the way it sounds, also tells you where you're at with it. So have you you guys tried to replicate that, that, the the stuff you've learned in um, in this in, in, in Chuko, I I try to uh, take a lot because out of all the chef, every chef that I worked for had had a big huge imprint in me, but Masa had the I think he was more internal. It was a lot of uh, conversations we had, uh, just not even the cooking side. So it was a very uh, emotional uh, relationship. Masa is actually an artist. Uh, I know he's a chef, but he, his brain always thinks that as a, a sort of a how does it feel, how does it look, and how does it make you feel? Which, uh, if, when you work at a restaurant, it just feels like work. And, and working for Masa, it felt like an emotional thing. So that's what we try to do here as well when people are working. Try to be a little bit emotional about what you're doing. Even though you might be doing every same thing every day, there's sort of a, a beautiful thing about that. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. Support for the Grub Street Podcast comes from the hilarious new Broadway play Fully Committed, Starring five-time Emmy Award nominee Jesse Tyler Ferguson of Modern Family, Fully Committed takes a sharp skewer to the backside of the restaurant biz. Jesse plays Sam, a reservationist at one of New York's most exclusive restaurants, who juggles desperate diners, scheming socialites, name-dropping wannabes, celebrity divas, panicked waiters, and a fame-hungry chef. And in this side-splitting tour de force, Jesse plays all 40 characters. Don't miss Fully Committed. It's on Broadway for only 15 weeks. So make your reservation now at fullybroadway.com. So why don't you tell us the sort of essential pieces of sushi. Like if you were to start out, if Masa was going to try and educate somebody just in the taste of this rarefied discipline, what, what three or four uh, pieces would he prepare oh, the inter- for you? I mean, the interesting what, thing about uh, at Masa, uh, you know, which uh, is a little bit, not normal is that when you sushi start sushi courses start he starts you off with toro which is not normal because toro is supposed to be a little bit like uh later uh toro is a tuna is a tuna belly it's fattier it's it's fattier and it's just like it's it's usually the uh the uh the uh, sort of uh climax Right, so you kind of hold back a little bit, you know, you want to go you first, second, th- right. Yeah, but he didn't do that. He, he just he's went, like, here boom. You, here you are, my right, friend. Right, right. The same way he opened that door, he's like, boom, I'm here, <laughs> you know. And so I used to be like, why, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, hold back a little. Let's like hold hands first, you know, give me the white fish. And then, you know, and he's like, no, this is how we're doing. It's like, I'm here. This is what I want you to taste. 
and, and I'm gonna come back with uh, you know these kind of rhythms. It's a very personality thing too. And so that thought and training, you know, sort of naturally got in my head. And that's how we start off too. Right from the beginning we say, boom, Toro. And uh, fattiest piece fattiest, of belly. right. Pale, right. rosy, right. melting. Right. By itself. Right. right. No gimmick on top of it. Zero. Here Just, you go. Exactly. So basically instead of like hello, we're saying we're, Hello. We're the boss. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even our Toro scallion roll, which is you know usually supposed to be this little small little fragile thing, we go like a Big Mac. We're like, <laughs> boom. Just like our initial hello. You know, we're saying it's New York, baby. Right. You yeah. give that. You give that to you know Tokyo. Uh, you know, SC, and they'll go. Oh. Yeah, they're all, like, you know they get a little shy about it. They're like, I don't know what to do. You know. So, how many apprentices do you have here in the back downstairs that you're firing every day that can't do everything right? <laughs> well, it's a whole new era. It's like, easy going, man. They go foraging together. Yeah. They, eat, <laughs> they eat hamburgers. Off to the farmers market. They go see movies. They see right. Superman. Um. Well, the thing is, it's a different generation now. Um, I think that the the apprentice thing isn't as sort of uh, the patience isn't there as it was before. From I mean, younger, from the younger, cooks, or even right. older, just anyone that wants to just learn, wants to learn for X amount and move on. You know, that's just the facts of life nowadays. You know, no one really. You know, if you say, I've been there for two years, that's like, oh, wow, nowadays. Back then, two years is like two minutes. You know, I guess also because information is a lot easier to get once again. Before, to get a recipe, you had to go across the world and work there for like three years to just get a half a recipe. And they come back with this water-stained recipe and say, I think this is it. Right. Nowadays, you just have to go into any sort of computer or anything to get that information. So I think that also plays a big part on people's patience, you know? I remember that scene in uh, Jiro with uh, Nakazawa, who, he's the apprentice, he's opened a much, much praised uh, sushi restaurant in the, in the West Village, and he spends, I don't know, six or seven years right. uh, mastering the uh, tamago, the, the, egg, right. the egg, egg, egg sushi, which you eat at the end of the meal, mm -hmm. classically, and every sushi has their special little take on mm -hmm. it, it's a little sweet, and if you don't right. get it right, they throw it out. Right. And you probably have your own little thing, but you, you don't have somebody who's been working on it for 10 years. Not, not for 10 years. We, we work with our sushi guys very closely and just kind of keep every day just at it with them. But it, it, it's, I wouldn't call it an apprenticeship because uh, it, it, it's more like molding them to get stronger versus when apprenticeships is like sort of where you just you give it all. It's less abusive. Um, less abusive, right. <laughs> and then, and then we just that, uh, sort of that commitment, you know, I was with Moss over for like, you know, over 10 years. And nowadays, you, once again, like, you don't really hear that much unless you're in a foreign country. But in America, you don't just hear that much of that anymore, I think. Now let's take a minute to hear from our sponsor, Harry's. Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. I think any guy who's ever been to a drugstore to buy razor blades know that it's sort of a hassle. They cost a lot of money. You have to, like, open that weird plastic alarm thing that tends to go off or they keep them behind the counter. It's just it's a real pain. Uh, but Harry's cuts that out with its German-engineered five-blade cartridges that have factory direct prices. They cut out the middleman. Harry's ships right to your door sells the blade at half the price of the leading brand. 
Over 1 million guys have already made the switch, and thousands more switch every day. Why pay $32 for an 8-pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry Starter Set is an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Harry's doesn't like to discount because their prices are already low, but we've worked out a special offer. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code GRUBSTREET. Stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code GRUBSTREET at checkout. So let's talk a little bit about this. We're, I know you're from L.A. And yes. L.A. has its, it's, a, it's a great sushi um, center. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that you'd see this kind of thing in L.A. L.A. tends to, when I go there, the sushi is quite pure, mm-hmm. quite uh, classical. I wouldn't call it boring, but, but maybe I would call it boring compared to New York. What, what would you think? Um, yes, I agree. I think uh, in L.A., when you go to a sushi restaurant, you sort of sit down and you just say, you know, the quick introduction and boom, your sushi starts. And then you get tea. Not a lot of chit-chat with Not the much, sensei. Right, right. Unless you know them and maybe a pound here and there, but it just really like, it begins and sort of ends and then you get your Very business-like. Very business-like and I wouldn't, a little, maybe a little dull for, for my taste. Um, like strong word, <laughs> well, you gotta, you, you, but you, doesn't mean New Yorkers run around. You got to get you got to get their attention, right. and they're not going to go, you know, in obedient hordes in their flip flops and their uh, you know flowered shirts, and then be home by nine o'clock. You have to create a, a, a dramatic right uh, show for them, for sure. Not saying the sushi, there's nothing wrong with it or anything like that. It's just that um, it's just really sushi. And there, there are restaurants like Urozawa, which is a beautiful restaurant where it's the meaning of kaiseki is there. He's, it's a kaise, kaise, sushi kaiseki restaurant uh, where uh, Chef Hiro actually trained in Kyoto and also with Masa. Kaiseki is the, uh, for our listeners, kaiseki is the uh, rarefied uh, uh, Japanese imperial court form of dining, which was developed in Kyoto. It's actually so rarefied that if you have a real kaiseki meal, it may not taste like anything at all. It's right. All, it's all it's all gestures. Right. And you know, oh, this this piece of hay is right. laid, laid sideways like right. it has been for five thousand years. For, right. Exactly. It's a you very ceremonial. Look at you know. it. You contemplate it, and nod your right. head, and then you go have a Big Mac after. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a very art, emotional sort of traditional experience, which is beautiful. Uh, it's far from what we really are doing. It's yeah, to, that's it's, a little different than well, what Kaisaki yeah, is. Yeah, it's here, come to right? mean right. now. It's come to mean really sushi with food. Right. Uh, omakase is um, chef's choice right. star, chef's choice sushi dinner, but I think it probably happened in New York, and it doesn't really make any sense. But mm-hmm. the kaiseki meal is the the fanciest form of sushi mingled with uh, various non sushi dishes, which is what you guys do. Right. So, uh, what's the best best dining city, New York or LA? Uh, I'm going to have to choose New York. Of course you are. Yes. <laughs> um, probably New York in the universe. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I, I'm in, obviously in no love with New York. Shuko <laughs> West, no longer. <laughs> Tokyo's pretty insane. Right. No, uh, well, Tokyo don't count. They're, Tokyo, they're, Tokyo's Tokyo's like little, another planet. Right. They don't even count for anything because you could like accidentally walk into anywhere and you're just so annoyed because what they just did is like better than anyone done in the whole world <laughs> yeah, and it's like random a, place. right some random place that made the uni is better right, than right, any you've ever tasted right. in your life no totally like pasta is better right anything 
And it's they're they're on like one beat. Everyone is on this one beat, and that beat's like perfection for some reason, you know. And, <laughs> and I tough don't, to fight, right? So that's, it's we're talking about Tokyo, that's right? Tough to fight, right? It's it's, it's like the temporary guy I was talking about. It's like, yeah. and they do it, you're, and you're they not, do it. Right. Nobody's gonna leave. Those right. apprentices aren't gonna leave. No, they're gonna stay. Right? You know, they're gonna keep. They're gonna be there. They're gonna be there, right. and they're, they're gonna open their place, and right. it's gonna multiply. And exactly. So why are we all here? Because here, New York is like, you know, if you want a quick dip into everything and you want to get energy and you want to get liveliness and you're like, you want to see the world in like five seconds. Totally. That's, that's New York. Right. Tokyo takes about 10 years to see see a neighborhood. Right. It takes about 10 years to just kind of sink it in, first of all, and like register it because once again, it's like. You're like in an elevator and you're like, why is this elevator guy so precise? Or why is this Tokyo. subway station yeah. apologizing for being a minute late? Everything is just sort of... Uh, Drive you crazy. Right, right. Because it's like <laughs> annoying how good everything is. <laughs> but as much as we anyway, think that, that's what they think about New York. Like, you know? Also, they love, you know, Japanese love New York for right, reason. In Tokyo, right. it's a very, they're very similar, but you know, New York is more a little more condensed. And hitting you in the face, right? And like, let's and also a little more fashion conscious. So For if you sure. want to know what's happening, right? Come to New York. Their ideas in the air. You come to New York. That's why I love like when uh, a Japanese customers come from Tokyo. In the beginning, they're like scratching their head a little bit, and then by like third or fourth course, they're like loosening the tie up, and they're like, you know, just really in there, you know, just getting involved. Pink uh, cheeks. <laughs> right. I actually remember when I came here, I sat by myself. Uh, obviously, it's too expensive. Actually, maybe some friend paid his way. But on one side were these uh, two ladies, and they were very, and they were drinking champagne with right. their sushi, which is not what you do when you're average right. Tokyo place. Right. You drink, you know, you're, like sake. You're lucky or, you drink right. a little bit of sake. <laughs> so they were drinking champagne. Right. And they were just getting more and more pink cheeks. Right, and right. Loud, and they were having a good time. They were telling me, like, oh, I've never seen them. Yeah. Now the other side was uh, some movie star. I forget who it was. Jake. Oh, you were Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Jake. So he's always here. <laughs> he, he's got. He operates. He, he sits in the when the critic's not there. He sits in the critics. <laughs> he he's was working he was on becoming a critic. Uh, yeah. Well, he's a big foodie. Actually. Right. Jake loves to eat. Um, I always seem to ride so much. Uh, but Cats is my daughter. So I look <laughs> over there. There's Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> right, yeah. He's just hanging out with Cats. Uh, there you go. Like, why are you so thin? How are you so thin? Are you not, you're eating all the time around New York. Like, why aren't you? Don't you? Why don't you weigh as, weigh as much as me? It's like, <laughs> I didn't answer that question. Actually, I didn't ask him. I just thought it. I don't. Yeah, I don't see that interaction. I thought, I thought in my head. <laughs> he's very knowledgeable, very nice guy. Very, yeah, he's, he's very great. Eater, yeah, you know? great eater and like uh, not not bad to look at. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I That's, locked. I That's locked true. with the eyes with them one time. Okay. He has like the the prince eyes, like where you look at it and you just sort of shyly look away because it's sort of like looks at your soul. Well, it was a look of admiration. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that people still have customers, younger customers, people who maybe aren't very familiar, maybe don't roll in the world of power sushi on a regular basis? Oh, I mean, yeah. do you find that the decorum is still something that puts people off or that they have trouble? Not necessarily adjusting to, but that like an inexperienced diner maybe is is a little like apprehensive about. Sure, definitely. I think uh, we're, we're, that's a challenge uh, that I think uh, right now as a whole, I think just this restaurant plus every restaurant in in, in America, because uh, I feel like the restaurant scene is sort of we're all sort of pushing a little bit, and with the push, there's a lot of like not the normal situations happening. So meaning that the traditional way of eating uh, uh, is sort of looked at differently, I think, restaurant to restaurant. So when a person with like a a traditional mind comes in, 
they sometimes might have a hard time understanding where they're at and how to be. And sometimes uh, we can't successfully turn them around, but a lot of times we can. But it's funny when you see just uh, uh, like grandpas and grandmas coming in, they're like, yay, you know, and just getting really involved in it, you know. And uh, last night we had three French ladies that came in. And they're very rich grandmas and grandmas. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they were from London uh, through France, and they were like, we don't know how to handle this, but we're going to go with it. And, you know, they were just like, you want people to have fun. I think that's the biggest change in sushi restaurants now, too, is that there there is more hospitality to them. It's not just such a strict experience. Right, You're right. not afraid to talk. You're not afraid to ask, should I use my, how should I eat this? How do you think I should do, you know, that, that engagement is they, changing that. They also traditionally survive on return customers, right? So it's just right. a small place and right. classically it's a neighborhood place. Right. You all have your guys and your people who come back. You know, right. It's, it's true of any restaurant, but I think it's Yeah, it's I think probably, every restaurant, regular. It's probably regulars, but it's it's a you know I think especially with sushi you'll go back to a place that you're like borderline <laughs> abused by the chef but just yeah, because it's like great <laughs> fish you know but you go just because you go just for the fish where now I think people are going more for beyond that yeah. the experience the, the engagement with the chef the you know the, the, thing about the, the Jiro, music right. or whatever else the thing about the Jiro movie is like you see that old world but also the thing about Jiro and you, you tell me if I'm wrong there are what, 50 Jiro's in Tokyo that have, not, have not been written about, right. that, that, that operate the same way, right. that, which, which, that, which why, is why it makes it that fascinating. Right, but it, right. Is, it is a very formal, very, very. A very deep tradition. Right, right. In some ways, my training in L.A. was very similar. Like, that once the door closed, it was very, like, very, the spiritually was like that. Even though we were in L.A., once the door closed... You know, uh, you're in your little world, right? We were in our little own world, and this bizarre this Zen master, right? Was, uh, right, probably communicating in very strange ways. Very, very strange. <laughs> and uh, at the time, we Much all like me and Amaral <laughs> were closed doors. It was very Japanese. We were, we were, we had to train to speak Japanese and learn Japanese on our breaks and stuff like that. And uh, just everything about it was very old school formal training. We used to go to the sushi place in Tokyo. It was a neighborhood place, and at the end of the meal, you'd have the the, you know, the tamago. Mm-hmm. It is tamago. Right? Tamago, yes. And then he'd say, do you want one more thing? Mm-hmm. And we would always get um, a hand roll, which he, he made with a twirl, but mm-hmm. it was very simple. It was just uh, shiso. And ume. And ume. Yes. This, which is a plum paste. It was right. sort of a salty. And it was just like, it was just this finishing. I probably asked you for it, actually. I don't well, know. That's, mm-hmm. our, that's our last piece. Oh, is it? It was just this, the way that you want to sort of close the right, palate. Right, right. thank you very much, I've had enough. It wasn't sweet, it didn't right. drive you on to more, right. you know, although I know you have an apple pie, but it was just like, <laughs> it was just this very simple, uh, right. you know. So yeah, I, I always thought of that as, sort of, as an iconic. Uh, right. No, I think it's uh, that, we try to do that here as well. We do a little bit differently, um, but that taste profile is how we end it too. It's similar to the hello, our goodbye is just as like very umami, very right, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. a very uh, soft and familiar you. and familiar. Right. Um, and how do you guys do your dragon rolls here? And your <laughs> rolls? We, we first Mid- we have the, a, Mid- the Midwest. Right. Rolls <laughs> yeah, it depends if it's brown uh, rice or white rice. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for another edition of the Grub Street Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer at Panoply. 
thank you as always, as well as our producer Sam Digman. For Adam Platt, I'm Alan Sitzma. Uh, we'll be back in another two weeks. Is that how often we do this? Two weeks uh, with another episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>